yeah, I mean, that's also the most straightforward theory about Ronaldo in 1998 I've ever heard. You know, <laughs> that story isn't complete without the, isn't complete without the conspiracy ones. But. I think the winner will come from Brazil or Portugal, actually. Japanese suns rise, Belgium stars fall, and Germany are given das boot. Later, we'll be joined by ESPN's Mark Ogden ahead of episode three of the Ronaldo World Cup show. But first, Daniel McDonald's day saw Luis Suarez deny he's the devil, then saw the Red Devils go home, and finally saw Spain lose, but arguably improved their chances in the tournament. So after another mad day, Dan, what's what's your highlight? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think probably the, 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 the second half in Japan, Spain, uh, because the first half was so dull. You know, like Spain were ahead... Uh, they were sort of in control. Um, I was in a bad seat, um, and I was just thinking, like this is my final double header of the competition. It's not allowed. Well, I can do. It. I could do. It to, I can do it on Friday, but I'm, I, I'm not going to take up the option. I mean, you're not allowed to do it in the knockout stages because just in case there's extra time and stuff, there'll be carnage. But I was sort of thinking, yeah, like this double header is just you were just pushing it. You've just gone too far with this one, and. Um, you know, but it's it's like that old thing. You know, never give up on a game. You know, never, never, Absolutely. never presume that it's suddenly going to be uh, super dull. Um, and it all changed. And I mean, the the was the ball in? Was it not? Uh, everyone by now has seen angles to 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 support their case. Um, Louis Louis Enrique at his post match press conference didn't even know. He claimed it wasn't even a time when when Spain were were actually going out. He wasn't even sure about that. So, um, just every oh. minute there was something happening. Um, I, I moved seat for the second half and ended up sat next to uh, someone in the Spanish section. And like there was every couple of minutes, there was like cheers in response to some goal or other, you know. And that real yeah. sort of last day of a last day of a league season vibe of the ripples going around the place. So uh, it was it was great drama. I mean, the problem is FIFA might be replacing this for for twenty twenty six when they. Uh, go to the 16 three-team groups and, and have penalty shootouts before the game is the latest rumour to try and add some drama. I mean, why, why tweak something that, that works so well? Um, and that, so that was the highlight of the day. I mean, like on another day, yeah. like it started it started off with sort of, I mean, Uruguay, the news that Uruguay had put up Luis Suarez for the press conference is pretty good, you know. Everyone thinking of a Ghana-Uruguay preview after 2010 and the Luis Suarez game. And I mean... They put up the man himself, uh, which was great. You know, he had the the shadow boxing of everyone waiting. You know, a couple of questions about how things were in the Uruguay camp before the yeah. the Ghana guy takes it, and everyone's like, "Here we go, here yeah. we go." Get your um, no, get your notepad filled, and then ask the question. Yeah, and in and in the middle of that, in the middle of that, I watched uh, Romelu Lukaku have the worst half an hour of his life, and that's you know yeah. third on the list, but it, of itself, uh, incredible, uh, great day of drama, it must be said. Yeah, they have high drama, all right. It was, uh, I don't know, like the Lukaku won. I mean, you, you can't say Belgium deserved uh, to go through, really, but it was just, it was crazy stuff. I mean, I, I think we, I think we both had Morocco a bit like the other night where we had um, Poland and Argentina to go through. I think we both had Morocco and Croatia to go through, but Croatia looked so comfortable. And then it was like with a certain, it happens the psychology of football where, you know suddenly when you've got something to protect as opposed to something to go for, they look like the better team. And then suddenly they realized, actually, if we concede here, we're gone. So they kind of set back to protect what they had. And I mean, Lukaku was just 
it was awful to watch. It, it, you just on a human level, you just feel so sorry for some for someone in that situation. Yeah, and I think as well, I have a little bit of sympathy for Lukaku, right? Because listen, he's the I mean, full time. He knows. I mean, can you imagine like his world now? Um, you know, if he's lying up awake and you're tempted to type into social media or something, you know, and, and like you'll have a million, million messages and memes and jokes and whatever. But the thing about it is like, like the missed chances completely justify his presence. Like he actually unsettled uh, Croatia mm-hmm. big style too. I agree with you. Like the scenario obviously unsettled them, you know, uh, I, that, that naturally happens. But also as well, when they had sort of Dries Martins in the first half, uh, and Trossard and they had a slightly different uh, set up to face and then all of a sudden they have this focal point um, you even saw one or two bad decisions defensively caused by Lukaku's presence a little bit of panic so like he, he sort of got himself in, into all the right positions like he didn't hide um, mm-hmm. and yes like he, he had an absolute nightmare I mean I, I, I was writing about it afterwards I mean Martin is going it's no big surprise but like in some ways, I mean, Lukaku is a great distraction um, for Martinez because to me, like, you know, chatting to some people here, you know, big, and I know we had Bart on yesterday as well. And like, uh, he dropped Hazard, which pe- people feel he should, have, he should never have played him in the tournament at all. Um, mm-hmm. That was a big mistake. Um, and uh, the, 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 the other issue is that like the, I mean, even like Jeremy Doku would come on, like a young player. People in Ireland might have seen him a couple of years back at the at the under seventeen Euros. That he was for all the talk of the old players, he probably stuck with a lot of the old players and, and didn't gamble. But yeah. you know, Lukaku is the one to blame now <laughs> in some weird way. Yeah. But there's obviously there's more to it than that. Yeah, I think if you ever need a definition of what match fitness is, you should just watch that last half an hour of Lukaku where. I think he's played something like thirty six minutes since August or something was the was the was the stat and like those chances that he had. I mean, the match fitness is basically the difference between kind of anticipating and reacting. Whereas, like, if he's on form, he's anticipating that the defender misses that one that comes across that ends up hitting him in the chest. He's probably one more step ahead of that right footed shot that hit off the post. It's just it's a half step, it's a half second, and it's the difference between scoring and in this case scoring and going through. Are not scoring and going home, and if I always feel sorry for for players in that situation, there's been quite a few of them over the years. I mean, Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, famously in '98, you know, was shoved out to play despite being nowhere near himself because, you know, managers aren't, uh, I don't know, brave enough or strong enough sometimes, and they and they 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 just hope that there's going to be a flash of something, but. You know, that's going to be whatever, you know, he won't need social media around him. That, that'll be burned into his brain for as long as he's for as long as he's around. Yeah, I mean, that's also the most straightforward theory about Ronaldo in 1998 I've ever heard. You know, it's generally, that story isn't, yeah. complete without the, isn't complete without the conspiracy ones. But no, I agree with you. I mean, I actually felt a little bit for, for him on the one that came off the post because I was right in front of that in a great line and... I mean the angle. I, I can you can see how that one happened, but I completely agree with you about the the other ones. You know, it was just like he was almost in the right position, and it was that just one second of sharpness, and probably even it was accumulated confidence issues from the previous ones as well that uh, that were affecting yeah. him. So um, ah, like it's it's it, it's rough, but I think probably 
on the basis of the performances across the three games, I think uh, the, the best two teams went through. Even though Croatia yeah. were still a little bit lucky, like they completely they completely got away with one, and 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 now also sort of find themselves in a position where they're playing Japan um, rather than playing Spain, which is a sort of a, mm-hmm. uh, a a weird conclusion to the day for them. Albeit they're in the Brazil and Argentina half of the draw. Yeah, there's kind of kind of there's a madness about the the groups those particular groups where you know two groups that contain Spain, Germany, Croatia and Belgium and the groups are topped by Japan and Morocco. We'll come back to Morocco at a later date. I mean they've had a phenomenal uh, phenomenal run. They finished the job yesterday and like it's a strange one where Spain are sort of saying well, you know or if you like some some of the the comments around Spain, you know, they'll They've opened things up. I mean, even said in the intro there that they probably possibly opened things up for themselves to go further in the tournament. But I mean, at the end of the day, they they lost to Japan. They drew with Germany, and the only reason they threw is they're through is because they absolutely hockeyed Costa Rica. And, I mean, you were at the game there. Like, were were they impressive, or were they impressive in the you know they kept a lot of the ball type of way? And I, I'm just curious, like, what, what's it feel like being at those games where you know you just you see the you see the stats, you see the passing numbers, you see all those things. But yet, you know, they lost the game and they didn't exactly, they weren't exactly convincing against Germany either. Um, no, I mean, they, what, they had 17% possession, Japan. And it, this is the thing. So the way my day worked out, I didn't, I wasn't fighting live at the Japan-Spain uh, Spain game. So I was thinking, right, I can actually really watch this match without that sense of like, taking notes of chances and stuff like that and, I, and particularly in the first half I was like right I haven't seen Pedri in the flesh before um, Gavi uh, I just want to take this in a bit you know Baldi the left back and they are very young like I won't give them that I know they have Busquets and Murata, um, but the whole thing is there's a real sort of belief in the younger players and you know Almo is a small bit older but like they're still all sort of under 23 sort of age bracket and yeah, I was watching mm-hmm. Pedri. I was like, I'm going to watch Pedri for five minutes here. And I just, I watched him and it was great. Like it was very structured, you know, Busquets with Pedri to his left and um, Gabby to his right. They generally didn't really move from their position dramatically until the movement, the rotation like demanded it. And it was, it was nice. They were con- comfortable. They were in control. Um, and as I said, like it was grand because it was a stress-free night for them. And I just thought this is a bit of a nothing match. But what was striking was in the second half that when they were completely sucker punched and, and went behind, there was nothing really, you know. And that, mm-hmm. that's that's how they went out of Euro um, twenty twenty, right? Like in the sense that they they um, you know they they're obviously better than people thought. You know, they were obviously competitive in every game, but in the end, they just they just got done, you know. And you just sort of feel like this is something that probably going to happen to them again um i don't know i mean they, they, they could they could sort of react to it like i know i know in your 20 in the euros but they did eventually lose on penalties okay that's maybe a little bit unfair yeah. but there was a feeling like they were they were the dominant team in the game and didn't do enough to to win it and you just kind of feel are they going to end up are they going to end up in penalties in this tournament you know yeah even even against morocco potentially so um yeah, I was I was a bit underwhelmed. I mean, I know we've got the chat with Mark Ogden coming up, and mm-hmm. we, we we I spoke to him prior to these games, and he, and he doesn't mention Spain as like a potential winner. And I thought, is that an oversight? But it's probably aged pretty well because I wouldn't be thinking of them in those terms now at all. 
Yeah, it does look like Spain will, well, dangerous as it is to make predictions. If you are going on what you'd expect, it would seem to be that the likelihood is Portugal and Spain will meet in a, in a quarter final. Um, and after the break, we'll be, we'll be joined by Mark Ogden, who talked earlier to Dan about Ronaldo and why the World Cup needs its stars. Yeah, so I'm here with Mark Ogden from ESPN. Mark, how are you enjoying your, your World Cup experience? Hi, Dan. Yeah, it's, um, it's different, isn't it? I mean, it, I think I'm on a run of... This might, tonight will be my fifth 10pm kickoff in five days. I've got another one tomorrow night. And this sort of thing you'd never do in a normal World Cup. You'd never have back-to-back games. And I think last week I did a 10pm followed by a 1pm. So I was basically mm. leaving one ground and having a couple of hours sleeping good to the next. But, but no, listen, it, it's really I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the... The atmosphere has been great. I think the alcohol ban has actually helped. It's such a friendly place. Mm. You know, we obviously know a lot of the issues off the field, which are well documented, but the fan experience that I've seen has been brilliant. Everyone's getting on, and there's loads of fans from South America, the Middle East, North Africa, and it's been great. I really enjoyed it. So you're working for ESPN, so it's an international mm. organisation. What's the, what's the big hook for you? I'm thinking the Friday games, we've got Ronaldo involved, we've had... We've got Messi and Argentina still going in the competition. I know we've been posting stuff around the colour around those matches. Like, what is the the, the the global story for you in this tournament? Well, obviously, so I previously got been at ESPN. I was at two English newspapers, and you, know, you do a tournament on that basis, and it's total England. You, you wouldn't even know that the rest of the world was here, and it, I find that quite suffocating at times. Mm. But ESPN is totally different. You know, England is just one of thirty-two competing nations. It's a big one, but it's not the be-all and end-all. So. The, the big driving force, obviously, this World Cup is the US. The US are huge because the back of the World Cup and they got into the knockout stage, so it's brilliant for that. But, yeah, it's Messi, it's Ronaldo, it's Neymar. That's the Holy Trinity, the mm. trifecta. Call it whatever you want. They are the big names and that is they just drive traffic absolutely at insane levels. And anything that they do makes news. And obviously this Attention, please. Yeah, because I suppose Cristiano Ronaldo, I know you previously would have worked on the Manchester beat, um, and I know you've still been vocal enough about Cristiano Ronaldo's situation in recent weeks and months. I mean, what have you made of him here? Because when he came in under this obvious yeah. uh, cloud, um, but uh, I mean, he's embracing the photographers before the first game, he's he's got a Budweiser Man of the Match award in, in his pocket, and they've done okay, Portugal. So I don't know what have you made of his overall contribution. This is quite masochistic of me because I've, I've said a few things that have been quite critical of Ronaldo and had endless abuse, so I'm going to carry that on now. <laughs> um, listen, I, I, I love Ronaldo as a player from when he started at United back in 2003, right till recently. Brilliant player, brilliant professional, an absolute example for everybody, but something's gone on in the last six months which he's just... I think he's realised that he's not the player he was and he's struggling to maintain that level. So he's still a great you know, player in, in flashes, but... At this World Cup, it's just been all about him. It's just been it's been kind of embarrassing, really, because, mm. you know, the penalty against Ghana, I think he was very lucky that that, that was a VAR thing. And that's another issue. I think VAR are kind of being celebrity-led at this World Cup. You know, Messi yeah. getting a dodgy penalty, Ronaldo getting one. But everything about Ronaldo, the goal situation against... Um, I've been that long, I can't remember they were playing. Well, they, they had the, the header against Uruguay. Uruguay, yeah. sorry. You know, he didn't touch it, and he celebrated it as if it was his. It was like a nine-year-old in the playground. It's my goal, it's my goal. <laughs> and then you've got the situation with Bruno Fernandes and Fernando Santos, both not having the, the courage to say, no, no, it was my goal. And, and 
the day after the Portuguese FA talk about appealing to FIFA to give him the goal. It's like, it's not about Ronaldo. It's, it's ridiculous that this Ronaldo show continues. And it turns out that goal would have, had it been given to him, would have equaled Eusebio's record at World Cups at nine. So I can see why he wanted it, another record. But it's a team game. And I thought Portugal were better when he went off. Mm. You know, when you've got, you know, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Joao Felix, you know, Rafael Leal, all these really good players coming to the fore. But back to your point, Ronaldo drives traffic, Messi does, Neymar does like nothing else. So, mm. you know, in this World Cup, as you've seen, you know, you go to games and you see Neymar shirts, Messi shirts, Ronaldo shirts. That next level of player, I don't see Mbappe shirts, I don't see Haaland shirts, I don't see Kane shirts, it's just them three. So, and they're all, you know, in their 30s now, so it'd be interesting in the next wave of players because the next World Cup, I don't think. Certainly two won't be here, Neymar might, but I don't think Messi and Ronaldo will be, so who's going to be the big star? Mm. Um, what do you think of Argentina then? I mean, I know you, you, you've, we've opened at the Argentina game this yeah. week. They looked, uh, sort of grave pronouncements being made after the opening game. And now all of a sudden the draws sort of opening up nicely. Yeah. And that's the dream for the organisers, yeah. right? They, that's the, this is the one they want more than anyone else because they are completely divorced from any of the, the other controversies. Yeah. I think they're a bit ragged, to be honest. I've not, I've not been convinced. I mean, last last night or whatever day it was, <laughs> early today, whatever. I thought they were they were good against Poland, but they weren't great. And I think you know there's, there's a massive reliance on Messi, as we know. I just think in midfield and defensively, as soon as he play a decent team, they get beat, which is a shame because we all want to see Messi in the final. Really, you know, we're all yeah. romantics, aren't we? Do we want do we want to see a Messi Ronaldo final? Yes, but no, because it would be all about them too. But I think the the Argentina fans are brilliant. And as soon as they go home, it'd be really sad because what we don't want is to get to the semi to the quarters and have seven European teams and you know one non-European team because the one thing that this World Cup is the one area of the world that hasn't travelled is the European fans. There's no, there's very few European fans that you you know will walk around. You don't see Dutch fans or German fans or French fans in the numbers you used to do. England fans even you just don't see them. Yeah. So it'd be interesting what happens in the atmosphere if that's the case. But in terms of the World Cup story. Argentina Messi went as far as he can. He's, he, it is the dream scenario. It's like Man United from the Premier League again. That's what it is. It's that they are the the Man United of the World Cup. Mm. I think we're probably on a similar page to this as well. I mean, you do. I mean, Russia was was similar enough mm. in the sense of the set American fans. I mean, it does make you think about twenty thirty mm. and that Argentina yeah. and and friends bid relative to like the Saudi Arabia chat yeah. and all this all this other stuff. I mean, can you can we trust FIFA? With, well, their, with their current voting structure, even the new one to deliver that. Well, the new one is just as bad as the last one in the sense that it's one member, one vote, and we know how it works. You know, a lot of African nations, a lot of Central American nations, Asian nations would, would greatly benefit from any financial aid that would come their way, um, whether that's um, correctly or incorrectly. But Saudi Arabia got an awful lot of money to influence, you know, nations. And I do worry about that. I mean, you know, the romantic notion 100 years since Uruguay, 1930 football crazy area part of the world and you know listen, listen the Middle East has had a great World Cup I think but one another in eight years at Saudi it just doesn't smell right to me especially yeah. the idea of having it with Greece and Egypt it's just you know let's get back to we've not had it in a, in a true world we had Brazil in 2014 but in a real football nation they've had a lot of experiments over the years quite rightly but I think it's now to go back to a proper football nation mm. that where if the host nation is playing the ground shakes, you know what I mean? With yeah. Qatar, they went out and nobody noticed. Yeah, yeah. just two things I'm just thinking, <coughs> in America 2026 mm. is, 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 as I said, your, your employer, mm. is that's going to be a, a sort of a fascinating thing, 22 years on from, or 32 years yeah. on even, God, from 94. <laughs> Scary thought. Um, what's your sense on how that might go? And look, what's the interest levels in the USA 
uh, journey here because you're doing sort of a lot of live TV yeah. stuff to America. Like, are you getting a sense of excitement building around it there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, interest is really big, and there was a bit of a concern at one point with it being a Winter World Cup because it clashes with you know NFL, basketball, the big sports. But traffic has been massive, and football is a really big sport. It'll never be a It'll never attract a certain audience in the US. The NFL credit is not going to watch football, soccer, yeah. whatever they call it. But there's still a massive, massive groundswell of Americans and you know the whole diaspora of different communities: Italians, you know, Hispanics, Irish. You know, everybody in America loves football, and it's maybe it's a, a thing that is not the kind of the Midwest. But Midwest is now a big football hotbed, surprisingly. So all parts of America have got big interest in it, and obviously Mexico's huge, and Canada as well. So. It will be a really good World Cup, and I think obviously Ireland will qualify and play in Miami midday. Oh yeah, but the forty-eight team World Cup, <laughs> sure looks fine. Yeah, in, in yeah, Miami, you know, they're all wearing baseball caps. And, and <laughs> yeah, and, the Steve Staunton, uh, yeah. Steve Staunton look. Yeah. But I do think that the one thing that people, you know, worried about the heat in this World Cup and the conditions—it's going to be horrendous in Mexico, the US, in, in mm. June, July. So, but it'll be a great World Cup because I thought USA '94 took the get, took the World Cup to a different level. Italian '90 was the last of the traditional World Cups for me. USA '94 was when. FIFA realise why well, we can make a lot of money out of this and make it a real kind of event. Mm. So what what the US does in four, three years time, four years time, I think it'll be the next it'll propel it to a different level again. So looking forward to that. One. Just finally, I mean, you are English. I know you're yeah. not the, necessarily the, the flag waving <laughs> Englishman type, but uh, I don't know. Is that is it coming home? Question like, what do you what's what's your sense? I know you haven't necessarily been at all the England yeah. games, but um, what's your sense because I know you're a little bit removed from it so yeah. you're not sort of immersed in it every day yeah I've been very lucky in my career to have spent a lot of time doing Ireland and mm. Northern Ireland and Wales so I see it from a different side and you know I can see the nonsense that goes with the England you know circus at times but um, is it coming home um, I think England have got a good chance actually mm. I, I, I do worry that in midfield that when they come up against well Croatia 2018, Italy Euro 2020. When they, when they come against the team that can pass the ball and keep the ball, that's when they have problems. They're due to play France in the, in the quarters. So France for me is a big, big test. They're not the France of four years ago, but if they get past that, then it's Brazil. So they've got the African champions next, the world champions after that, the record World Cup winners after that, and then maybe Argentina in the final. So no, it's not coming out. So at this, you see, you've sort of half written off Argentina there and England. Yeah. Who is your winner then? I think Brazil. I just think Brazil have looked good. Nobody's been outstanding for me, but I think Brazil have looked strong, and I think you know the, the draw is quite kind. I think today I, I do fancy Portugal as an outsider. Okay. I think that's due to me. I think I think if if they can find a way to sideline the Ronaldo nonsense, they've got some very good players. They're good at the back. They've got a good goalkeeper. They've got a good midfield. They've got they've got the full package. But I think the belief, the ment- if they play Brazil in a quarter or a semi, if they got the mentality to beat Brazil, I'm not sure, but I think the winner will, will come from Brazil or Portugal actually. Interested. Good stuff. Listen, Mark, it's been good catching up. Enjoy the rest of it. Cheers, pal. So, Mark, there fancying Brazil to to go all the way. They're back in action this evening in Group G, and we'll get to predictions for that group in a minute. But Dan, you're going to be at Ghana v Uruguay um, twelve years after the infamous uh, game in 2010, which Suarez obviously talked about. Uh, it's hard to ask what you're expecting, but was the, the press conference sort of some kind of psychological masterstroke from the Uruguayan team? Yeah, that did actually cross my mind, the idea of sort of some 
like Uruguay are, are in a bit of crisis relative to expectations. Seems to be one or two issues going on about comments made in the press by players after the the Portugal game. So you know, bring out Suarez and they might absorb some of that. Um, it was natural that the 2010 was going to come up. I mean, it was an incredibly big event um, in the life of uh, of Ghana as a nation and Uruguay and Suarez too. But Ghana obviously were the losers from it. Um, and it was it's actually very striking though that the Ghana players like Thomas Party was in after the coach Otto Addo was sort of supportive of Suarez even um, as far as the thing was like like you know it's not my fault I didn't miss the penalty uh, as yeah. Jean did so there you go deal with it and you know a lot of people are like that's absolutely fine um, but I suppose you, you take it like the Henri thing. Um, for Ireland in some ways like he's remembered yeah. as a villain now, I'm not going down that road again but like I mean, this Henri obviously crying today um, with, with Lukaku uh, or Lukaku crying on Henri's shoulder I still you know Henri still stirs a few emotions in me but that's probably because of how insincere he was in the afterwards rather than the fact that he yeah. did it I have no issue with the fact that he did it but what I always had the issue with Henri was that he uh, he was calling for the replay I mean it was never going to happen but it was a great PR move to do it um, yeah. as far as in a way he sort of like owned us from the start and I remember I was there for that game it was an extraordinary night and even just going back over the archives today for my piece on it um, it reminded me I was I was at the, the pre-match press conference for the, the semi-final at that time where Oscar Tabarez the coach was going mad over you know, Suarez being vilified and, and um, yeah, like in a way, the Uruguayan stance hasn't changed in, in 12 years, you know, like they've, they've stayed yeah. consistent all the way through. Um, and it, it was fine, but the, the, the Ghanaians themselves don't want to get into it, as in the squad, the staff. Andre Ayu was asked the other day, he's the only remaining player, and he just didn't get into it. But then you've got his elder brother did a piece with The Athletic where he said that... Um, Everyone in Ghana and everyone in Africa hates Louis Suarez, which sort of, um, I mean, sometimes the headline just comes to you, right? You know, like yeah, it is a quote. Absolutely. So uh, I think I think there's one of those things where I think the Ghana camp are deliberately playing it down, but I still suspect that they'll feed off that emotion in their own way. Um, and if it's full time and they're through and Suarez is on the pitch, I'd be surprised if there wasn't a comment or two of, of some description. But, but that was incredible. I mean, like Soccer City, I can't believe it's 12 years, but everyone says that about the passing of time, I suppose. Um, but it was that was just one of the most extraordinary nights of all time. And I think like Suarez, what I like about Suarez, he's so single-minded. Like, like all the great sports people are, they're totally selfish, total tunnel vision. Like he only saw that through the prism of Uruguay, as we all do with our own countries, you know, in international Absolutely. football. Like, like Ireland rob Armenia a year or two after the handball, and you know, we analyse whether Trap got his decisions right. And in Armenia, like they remember this for 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 a decade as an absolute outrage. They do Ireland last June and, and and love it as a consequence. And like the thing about that night was that this was the symbolism of of what this meant for like an entire continent, like. I was staying with a white family in, in Johannesburg, a very progressive uh, family in terms of their outlook, who, like, I remember the, our sort of landlady for that tournament, because it was a guest house, she was so emotional about her kids, her white kids supporting Ghana, feeling African. There was that real vibe that was building around it. And all of that, like, wrapped up in the emotion of that Ghana miss and the penalty shoot, and Suarez is that villain figure. Sure, in his world, this doesn't matter. 
I was just doing no, it yesterday for Uruguay and like his attitude today is is very similar. He doesn't like he sort of he went on some point about well, you know, Portugal beat us in twenty eighteen. You don't see yeah. us going on about it or words to that effect. But that's not comparable. Like this is he he, he was yeah. he get over it. He said something about the, the Ghana players. There were probably eight or nine at the time. Um you know, they were eight or nine at the time and and uh probably wouldn't bother. Like I was eight for Italia ninety. If Ireland had been screwed out of a semi final by uh by something like that, I think I would have remembered it. And like you'd be pretty sort of yeah. uh, hurt by it. So um, anyway, like so, I'm sure it will be there in some description, and, and that's why, to me, it's the only game I'm doing on the Friday. But it's definitely the game to be at. And do you see Ghana going through? We might as well get into our predictions here. Do yeah. you see Ghana going through? Quick fire predictions. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like Uruguay might do it. <laughs> I feel like Uruguay might do it two one. I don't know. Um, say I don't know a lot of this, but I'm pretending to know, uh, and I think I think maybe I'll go for Uruguay two one. Ghana have been a little bit yeah. like they've been they've been a bit their game's been a little bit scatty, like you know. So it's very hard to know mm-hmm. what to expect from them. Well, I'm going to go for one of these kind of mad mad days. I think where Ghana and Uruguay draw and South Korea beat Portugal, and people are looking at goal difference and goals scored and all that sort. Of, I think I think Portugal are basically through, you know, barring disaster or, and. You know something for Ghana, so I I think I'm gonna go for uh, Ghana Uruguay to draw South Korea to win, but Ghana to go through. Um, um, South Korea Portugal for me. The only thing is, yeah, I, I'll go for two one South Korea. Actually, I think more than one. If South Korea win with more than one, it gets very interesting depending on scenarios. So um, yeah. yeah, I'll go. I'll go for two, a pair Ghana. of two one results. Good stuff. And into the evening games in Group G, Cameroon Brazil. I know Cameroon need to win, obviously, to to try and go through. But Switzerland Serbia is one of those games that looks could be spicy. Serbia need to win, obviously. Yeah, I, I'm going to go for Brazil to 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 win one nil against Cameroon. I think they'll just do enough. Well, Cameroon probably have to go for it. Will it be more open? But Brazil won't let things be too open, even if it's they 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 sort of um, refresh their options a bit. Um, so I'll, I'll go for that. Switzerland Serbia. I think my prediction is changing for this after watching Serbia against Cameroon. They were just a little bit all over the shop. And um, Pavlicic, the defender, got injured. Would he be fine? They lost their shape when he went off. They lost a little bit of defensive order. He's only 21, but defensively, I think they've surprised a couple of people uh, with who they've picked. Uh, people uh, with the Irish staff and people who would have been sort of familiar with Serbia wouldn't have expected uh, one or two of the combinations they've seen from them. Um, I think Switzerland are probably better than them. Um, I feel like I trust them uh, a bit more. Um, one all will do it for Switzerland, won't it? Like I think it will. Yeah. The way things are, the way things pan out, unless Cameroon, um, you know, put a number on Brazil, which isn't going to happen. So I'll take Switzerland to do enough. Yeah, I think similar enough. I think I might take a nil all on that one, and uh, probably Brazil to just have a. You know, just have enough. Even the Brazilian reserves, if Cameroon are going for, it, I think Brazil will hit them. And as you've, as you've said and written, Brazil, this isn't a swashbuckling Brazil team. Like they'll keep things tight. They're by definition they keep things tight. So, I think they'll do that against Cameroon and have enough. Thanks for that, Dan. We'll hope for a similar drama to twelve years ago today. But at least it's an earlier kickoff this time. Thanks for listening to Indo World Cup. Watch us on YouTube or Independent.ie or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.